I have in my hand is called Bible Basics for Everyone. It was uh, given to me by Lawrence, who used this as a resource, especially for discipleship and new believers. Um, it's, it's a good source. I did look through it this week and do recommend it. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest things about it is it's free to you guys tonight. <laughs> so, every adult. Now, I'll tell you what you're committing to once you get one. one. <laughs> oh, you got one. <laughs> you. <laughs> I'll get one for you. It has some neat stuff in it, and uh, you'll find it helpful. Um, a, a nice little reference. Um, one neat thing that it has in it towards the middle to the end, it's kind of a long section, is a, a really brief uh, review of every book of the Bible. So telling you kind of like um, what the main theme is and, and how it fits in. So giving you a quick overview, it has another, just some interesting information in it. So I'll take a look at it, and um, mainly I'm giving it to you for this reason. Part one, it says reading the Bible for yourself, and it goes through a couple of things um, that you can use to read the Bible, a uh, little information on, on the on the Bible and such, you, you can use this to be a help with someone you're discipling, somebody that um, needs to become more familiar with God's word. And when you get that person, come and get another one of these. The, the one you have is for you. You can come and get another one for that person and just kind of lead them through it. Um, you, can, you can use it as a, as a discipleship tool uh, along with other things that you might do. Years ago, we had a discipleship uh, program called One by One. I've gone away from using that um, um, for several reasons. Doctrinally, it, it had some things, just a couple of lessons in there that, that, uh, that, that uh, just didn't fit in with understanding of the Bible. So we've gone away from that. So there, there's several ways. I know people like to have something written and, and something they can use. We, we struggle with this in our Sunday school classes. How come we don't have Sunday school material? There's two reasons why we don't have material. One is cost. <laughs> cost. The other one is simply what I call laziness. Is we get a book and we just kind of defer to it instead of teaching on our own. Um, you don't actually need a book to teach. What you need to do is just share with people that a new believer what it is you, what, it, what will be helpful to them, what will be helpful to you when you were a new believer. So I usually start with some some things or some ideas or some thoughts that is important to them. It's, it's very uh, convenient to tar start with scripture, I mean, start with um, salvation, um, memorize some verses on salvation to let them see God's grace in salvation and, and, and that um, it's something that, that they can't lose and, and work through that. Uh, oftentimes I deal with something that's pertinent to their life or their life circumstance uh, maybe marriage, it may be um, um, 
preparing for marriage, if that's something they're looking forward to, uh, just trusting God in different areas of their lives. So you know some of those things already and just share that with them. Um, we've gone through so much in the church, I feel like uh, if I had written it all out, we'd have a library of resources that people could use. Um, but if you think through, we've gone through every, every major book in the Bible if you've been here you know, over 10 years. Uh, and so you've seen some of that, but you might, um, you might want a, a review of that or think through some of that. So take that, um, enjoy it, use it, read it through, get familiar with it so you can be able to use it as a help for others. All right, we're going to continue to answer questions on Sunday night, um, Bible questions that people have. And we're still on that one question, uh, do babies go to heaven when they die? And remember, I've recommended this book. Several of you have asked me about it and have looked it up, and I hope you were able to purchase it or have it on the way. It is a good tool to have in your library. Why are we spending time like this? It's because God is developing in this small group, a group of believers who are, um, who are prepared to counsel others, uh, to be a comfort to others, to help others through their Christian walk. And that's one question that might be helpful in that area. So I, I recommend um, that you, you get that kind of book and, and look through some of the questions. I want to deal with one aspect of that tonight. And if we have any time after that, we may take a few testimonies or at least some questions con uh, concerning that. So tonight, let's take a look. Second Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12. If your Bible has like headlines to the chapters or throughout the chapter, um, mine says, Nathan rebukes David. This is about David as a king and his, um, his sin with Bathsheba. And so after that sin with Bathsheba, um, a child was born. And as, as a judgment of God, look at verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Right. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So that was part of the consequences that God had for, for David and for Bathsheba for, for their sin, that this child would die. Let's look at what happens after this. Verse 15, then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to, the say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. You can certainly understand their circumstance. David was very, very distraught 
uh, when he knew that the child was sick, he fervently prayed to the Lord that the child, that the Lord would, um, would change his mind and he would relent from the judgment that he had set on David and on his child and that he would allow the child to live. He prayed for that. Um, and then he understood that the child had died. Verse 19. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. But David wanted a straight answer, and the servants gave him a straight answer. Um, they didn't know if David could take that or not, but they knew they couldn't hide it from him, and they told him. Verse 20, then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. Interesting, puzzling uh, response that David had to this child dying. So they asked him, verse 22, he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I should go to him, but he will not return to me. Those, that short phrase gives us some insight and some comfort into what was going on in David's heart and what was going on in David's life and what David knew. Um, let's talk a little bit about what does this reveal. David is comforted in the child's death and in his hope for the future. Verse 22, he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Um, some have said David was saying, I will go to him as in death, but he will not return to me from death. But he, I, I think David is saying much more than that because David is a godly man. Even though he knew he sinned, if we look at, at other scriptures, we knew, we know that David was assured that he would spend eternity with God. He was absolutely sure of that. In fact, in fact let's look at, at a few scriptures. Psalm 16 verse 9. <clears throat> Psalm 16 verse 9. This is a psalm that David wrote. Verse 8 says, I, will, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoice, rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Okay? David knew that God would not allow his body 
um, or his soul to, to spend eternity apart from God. He was assured of that. That's expressed in this verse. Look at Psalm 17, um, verse 15. David again writes, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Again, David expresses his faith that he would live eternity, eternally with God. In Psalm 23, verse 6, you all know Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David was sure of his eternity. He knew that he was going to spend eternity in hell, excuse me, in heaven, I'm sorry. He knew he spent eternity in heaven. He knew uh, then in his expression that this child, he would see this child again. So he's expressing that hope. And not just a wishful expression, but a sure thing that he was, he was as sure of his own self. Um, if this child was not going to spend eternity in heaven, why would David be comforted at his death? And David expresses a, 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 a very, uh, um, something that we can learn from. And that is, he prayed while uh, in a time when he, when there was hope, when there's a chance that God could move or God could, could do something, um, the certainty of it was not sure yet. He had a week's time and he prayed, even fasted. He was sincere about that. But he also knew that God is sovereign. God does as he pleases. Um, not even our prayers can change his purpose and, and his heart and his will. God will do as he's determined. And when God, when when David saw that God acted, his prayer ceased. There's no more time to pray. I talked about this on our Wednesday service. Um, when a person dies, we don't pray for their eternal state. It's already set. There's, there's no sense in doing that. In fact, um, it's senseless to do that. And so David expresses that as well. But he expressed hope immediately after this. He mourned while the child was sick. He rejoiced, it says he even worshipped when the child died. I want to show you another experience that David had with another child, another son that died. That David had a very different reaction to. 2 Samuel 18. Second Samuel 18. You'll immediately recognize this when we start reading it. You know, David had a struggle with many of his sons. And I think actually because of his sin. But one son, well, several sons actually, but this one in this, in this case tried to usurp um, and take the kingdom from David. David didn't really know how to deal with his son. 
But others around him knew how to deal with the son. Like any other traitor, like anyone who was a threat to the kingdom that God had established, uh, they saw him as an enemy, and they treated him as an enemy. And so when this enemy was killed, they let the king know, and the king did not rejoice. Verse 32 of, of, first, of 2 Samuel 18, verse 32. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. That's a proper response. Verse 33, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, it can be said that, that David favored this child and, and, and had a wrongful pity for this child. That may be true. But the reason I think that he was so distraught is because Absalom showed in his life to go against the will of God and trying to do David harm. God had set up David as king. And when Absalom went against that, he showed his obstinate heart toward the Lord. And when the Lord judged him and took his life, David knew that he was gone eternally, that he would spend eternity in hell. David knew that. And part of his mourning is as a father to a child who is forever lost. Oh, Absalom, my son, Absalom. In chapter 19, verse 4, it says this, The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son, Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We know the, the rest of the story that he was rebuked and reproved for this because he had brought the whole nation into, dis, into despair for his reaction. But the point here is that we understand his reaction, and we see two totally different reactions to David's sons he both loved. One who died as an infant, just a week old, David was sure he would see again and had hope and expressed that hope in his, in his, his life and in his, um, his speech. This one he knew was, a, was uh, living a life against the Lord, and when he died, there was a whole different expression of grief towards him. Why towards one and one response towards one and one response towards the other? Um, I believe because David understood what was happening and what would happen in eternity with both of these individuals. So I wanted to just kind of share that again. That, that's something that came out of the book Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. Um, and I uh, wanted to share that as, as, as some of the evidence. Now you see why it's a difficult question. Uh, for one, is I think we deal with the bigger issue of, of understanding um, accountability and um, what we would call the age of accountability when God um, puts that responsibility for action on the person as an individual at what point did this happen and so we try to understand that the other thing is the assumed silence of scripture but I'm glad John MacArthur makes, makes a point of scripture isn't always silent on, on that point and in terms of the infant himself and what happens in God's heart towards 
towards infants um, and those who, who are the innocents in God's eyes, how he views them. The scripture is not totally silent on that. He does give us some leeway, uh, some, some guidelines, some, some, um, some um, uh, direction as to where God is and, and um, allows us to have hope and, and comfort in what God does and how he looks and views at, at their death. Any questions on that, the passage that we read or the topic in, in total? Charles? Well, he answers that by saying this. We don't know what the age of accountability is. Only God knows that. And that's going to differ for each individual and in, in their situation. For instance, there are individuals who can reach adult age, but in their mental capacity, they are never beyond uh, a child in their development. And so they may never reach, they may forever be children. Um, so that, that applies to them differently than another adult um, who may be at the age of, of 12 fully aware of, of um, what they do, not only what they do, but uh, right and wrong and the choices that they make. So, um, yeah, I don't think anybody can answer that as to where that is and uh, how we determine it for any one particular person. I'm going to use another session, not today, but another session to take a, a general walk through Romans and show who God does hold accountable so that we can eliminate some of the error, I think, that goes into thinking. Um, some, some people want to stretch that and say, okay, well, then if children aren't accountable, what about people who, who uh, in faraway places have never heard the gospel? Um, so let's look at Romans to get an answer to that because I think the Bible does give a clear answer to that. And the answer is they're accountable um, because God has given a witness in their heart. Uh, Romans 2 talks about that, the conscience um, and, and the conviction that comes in their heart even apart from the word of God. He says he's given an inner witness to them um, that they know that they have ignored and they have violated um, that own witness that he's given to them. So um, we know that in any society, um, people have an, in, we, we call it an innate uh, ability to know right and wrong. In other words, it doesn't have to necessarily be taught to them um, in, in the way of teaching that we would think, but it's something that they come to realize as a human being. You slap somebody uh, in any culture, they know that's wrong. They know they've been disrespected. Um, so, yeah, the Bible does answer, answer that question. At what age that comes, we don't, we don't have a concrete answer to that. But, yeah, who's accountable um, um, and what it takes to be accountable, the Bible does have. Give some explanations. So I'm going to spend some more time with that at our next, at our next session. But to, uh, to give you an immediate answer, it's Romans chapter 2. You can look through that and get an understanding. Take all Romans in context. You look at Romans 1, 2, and 3. I think those three chapters really help develop that theme of who is accountable before God. Uh, to summarize that, he, he says um, Jews are accountable. They've been given a word. Even those who aren't Jews who haven't been given a word are accountable for what I just said. And he says, so they all stand before God condemned, 
justly condemned. He's not talking about children in that case. He's still talking about those who have reached an age of maturity, no matter what culture they live in. So Romans helps us answer that question. Any other questions? Was that helpful? The whole discussion, was it helpful? Is it something that confuses more, um, makes things cloudier, or adds some clarification? Helpful? Okay, good. Okay, um, yes. good question. Um, as a pastor, that's always been a difficult issue. People are, are grieving and you want to comfort them while they're grieving. You also want to be, truth, be truthful because comfort without truth has no foundation. You just say, hey, everything's going to be alright. Don't worry about this. Um, whatever it is that they're worried about. They may have just had a diagnosis of, of cancer in their life. You just say, oh, that's okay. Everything's right. They, that's empty to them. And, and they know it and you know it. They love the fact that you love them and want to comfort them, but they want real comfort. Um, 2 Corinthians 1 says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort um, has comforted us. In what way does God comfort us? He comforts us with truth that's pointed to him that is foundational, something we can stand on. That's what, that's what provides comfort. Um, so in some ways, before we can comfort a person, we have to let them be uncomfortable in the truth. Um, so that, that's always a tough thing. It's not always a moment to do that in a funeral or during a funeral. So sometimes we come around to just be supportive to where we can, so to speak, earn the right in our friendship or relationship with them uh, to speak and to speak to their heart. We try to do that. There are other times when we have a responsibility. I know as a pastor, I've had the responsibility to speak truth, and I try to speak it in a way um, that is thoughtful and loving and yet truthful because I may not have earned the right with every individual that hears me to individually say something. And that's, that's usually the case when it, when it when, when you have so many people there, you don't know them personally, and they don't know you, and, and they may not even hear what you have to say, but sometimes you still have to say it. And so um, God gives us, I think, the Holy Spirit in a moment to speak his truth in a, in, a, in a loving way. And I think that the best thing we can do is rely on the Holy Spirit to speak the truth and to give us the moment to speak that. The, it reminds me of that the greatest preachers of the gospel don't always do it from the pulpit. I think God's people uh, can minister one-on-one -on -one or face-to-face -face with those individuals in very impactful ways. Don't always rely on, on the preacher or the pastor to say something um, that's impactful. A lot of times God gives us that opportunity to do that. As a friend, uh, as a close, close relative, he gives us that time. Pray. Pray to God to open a door and pray to God to let you, he'll nudge you and let you know um, 
when the time is. And when it comes, you may not know what to say, but ask God. And he provides, um, he'll put the words in your mouth to, to speak to the heart of that person. And I can think of situations where it's God is using that person more than he would use me from the pulpit sometimes because of the, the relationship that's developed it with that person. So be mindful of that. God uses that. Nathan did it with David. Um, Nathan was, a, was, a, was a, um, a prophet, but he was a counselor. And you could see his gentle care and concern for David. Um, but he spoke truth with him, but he did it so in such a wise way that um, David couldn't ignore it. David couldn't even get mad, and David had to see himself. It was like a, a pure mirror in front of him. And so God uses that, and I just pray to God to use us in those situations and give us the wisdom to see when we have that kind of, uh, when we have that kind of uh, situation right in front of us. One of the reasons why we go through um, the Bible as a whole and so many books, it, it gives us a resource. There's so many ways that God can use to reach a person. Um, and the gospel is found in all of those books. And so um, maybe God is touching a heart through one way and touching another heart through another way. Praise him. He knows, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to do it. We trust God to do that. All right. I know the Bucks game is on tonight. I'm not going to delay us any longer. <laughs> you are the faithful few. <laughs> Some of you go home and go to sleep. I'm going home to watch the Bucks game. <laughs> Yank out my Giannis jersey. <laughs> so it, we want to encourage others to, to go ahead and continue at, um, putting questions in the, in the question box. I'm going to spend at least one more session on this question after um, Easter Sunday, and then we'll move on to, to any other questions that we might get. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, the comfort that it brings to us for your diligent servants who have spent their lifetime searching and trying to understand and life experiences that give them a wealth of, of knowledge of how to approach your word and, and how to find comfort in your truth. So we thank you. We pray that this might indeed be comfort not only for us, but for those who we have a chance to minister to. The gospel might be used to impact their lives and that you give us the tools and you give us the opportunity to do that. And uh, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.